Welcome to Canada Reimagined. I'm Patrick Esmond White. This episode, The Next War. In my last episode, I made the case that Canada's defense strategy is out of date, in need of an overhaul. I touched on the military threats we actually face and how they could be mitigated. As you already know or will have guessed, I am not an expert in the many issues I've explored on Canada Reimagined. What I've tried to do is glean ideas from experts I do respect and connect the dots between topics that are traditionally treated apart. On the topic of security, my perspective is shaped by my family background. We can boast two Victoria Crosses. Personally, I've never been in a real fight in my life, but let me tell two stories for context. First, my father was career army. He began as a cavalry officer in India. After fighting in the Middle East during the Second World War, India became independent, so he moved to Canada, eventually joining Lord Strathcona's horse. He ended his career as the commanding officer of the Diefen Bunker, the nuclear war shelter outside Ottawa. From horseback to nukes took less than four decades. Now, my father also had a family connection to a Royal Air Force officer named Fred Winterbottom. In the 1930s, Winterbottom was sent to spy on the German Luftwaffe by pretending to be a Nazi sympathizer. He got a big welcome from Adolf Hitler himself. The Nazis even showed him the new German planes that could be part of a blitzkrieg, dive bombers that would strike like lightning, allowing tanks to roll through the shattered defenses. Winterbottom's secret reports went to London HQ, where the warnings laughed off. If aircraft fly that fast, the experts said, their wings will fall off. These are cautionary tales. As we think of defense, remember, war constantly changes and complacency can easily set in. War was famously described as politics by other means. What's different today is that war has the potential for global annihilation. Our enemies know this, so in their grand strategy, they mostly use intelligence, economics, trade, cyber war, indirect attack. Everyone knows that military misadventures can easily create uncontrollable chaos, not that that stops some gamblers from trying. In Ukraine, Putin gambled on an easy invasion and lost. Still, an invasion of Canada is not the threat we face, but we do face threats. Economic and cyber attacks are already happening in Canada. Also, in addition to threats from human enemies, climate change poses a security risk. It leads to political chaos. Demographic trends then make conflict over land and resources inevitable. These threats a military cannot easily fight. The strategic question is, how should Canada invest scarce resources in a way that protects us and delivers the ultimate goal of peace, order, and good government on a sustainable planet? As I grapple with an answer, I'll make two assumptions. First, major changes to national defense takes decades, and we have to build on the force structure we already have. And second, the defense establishment has experts who think years ahead, even if they can't act on their ideas. So, let me offer a series of recommendations for change within our defense structure, then 
we'll learn of even better ideas from the people who know more. I am actually optimistic because a recent policy paper from inside the Defence Department showed a remarkable grasp of the threats to Canada. It touched on issues from climate to cyber warfare to robotics and drones and artificial intelligence. But ideas without implementation are a dime a dozen. I am proof of that. Still, defence experts can only act on their strategic insights if our political leaders give the say-so, and that's not likely. Okay, what might my radically reimagined defense policy look like? Six recommendations to start more cyber capacity. As a democracy in a connected world, we are already under digital attack, cyber warfare. Totalitarian countries attack democracies, including Canada, seeding disinformation and disrupting elections. Two Canadian organizations defend us from cyber attacks. The Communications Security Establishment, the CSE, is one. The Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, is the other. The latter is Canada's primary intelligence agency, which works with allies to gather intelligence and advise governments. In particular, the so-called Five Eyes arrangement shares intelligence with four key allies. Both CSIS and SCE seem to be doing a good job, but with secret work like this we have no choice but to trust and also to verify. We can only verify if all major political parties have representatives who have full access to the secret world. In a democracy, oversight is essential. Sometimes, though rarely, we get glimpses of these agencies at work. We now know that they warned Nortel of spies inside the company and of listening bugs in their headquarters. It was to no avail Canada lost. Right now, CSIS is warning that China is trying to buy up Canadian mines and other natural resources. It urges us to protect these strategic resources and our cutting-edge technology. But the solution is political, not military. That message is slowly getting through. However, back to recommendation number one. When it comes to cyber warfare, Canada cannot afford to scrimp. Major investments in cybersecurity and intelligence make total sense. Recommendation number two is also connected to our intelligence capacity. Canada needs information that satellites can best provide. For a nation this large geographically, we need to see from the proverbial high ground. We cannot rely on partners to share satellite information as they have competing priorities. Currently, our military seems to do a little more than monitor man-made objects in space. We can only hope the important stuff is happening in secret. So, recommendation number two, Canada should invest more in space. We need the capacity to spy and to monitor Canadian territory for everything from fishing boats to chemical spills, from forest fires to crop data. Some stuff is kept secret, some is made public, but we do need intelligence from space. Third, from that high ground in space, we will see the threat on our ocean perimeter. A foreign military invasion is not the concern. China is not about to sneak into Canada to drill for oil or build a mine. But China is already invading our ocean territory, stealing resources and damaging the environment. Canada has an obligation to defend the 200-mile exclusive economic zone on ocean borders. 
to protect this zone, the fisheries and the environment, a bold attitude is needed. That is, the ability and willingness to confront and engage foreign fleets and ships on all three oceans and in the Northwest Passage. By confront, I mean stop, investigate, arrest, and bring before our justice system. This is recommendation number three, significant new investments in perimeter defense. That is, new tactics and new technology to stop illegal fishing and passage, all without provoking a war. For this, a redesigned Coast Guard Navy might build a larger fleet of smaller ships powered by hydrogen. These ships could use drones to monitor the seas and to provide tactical firepower. Fleets of airships could play a supporting role. Artificial intelligence would be another key. All this to protect our perimeter. I should add, we could pay for this by not having a deep-sea navy and by cancelling the frigates. Our frigates, as a contribution to Allied naval power, are insignificant. It's not our best use of resources. Now, just for the record, the United States has 11 aircraft carriers compared to China's two. The United States Navy operates 92 destroyers compared with China's 50. According to Global Fire's 2023 military rankings, China has more submarines, 78 to 68. The United States is seeking to bolster the number of its submarines. The next change in strategic direction Recommendation number four concerns the traditional army. It should shrink dramatically. No more tanks or armored vehicles. Imagine that instead of 22,800 full-time soldiers, if they could fill those spots, the number is cut dramatically. As we do this, Canada might simply donate weapons like tanks to countries that actually need them, like Ukraine. However, the army that we keep should get better pay, better equipment, better training, better morale. It would be an elite, highly paid, multicultural force that reflects the diversity of Canadian culture. It would be differently equipped, making extensive use of drones and autonomous weapons and an AI-assisted central command. Hydrogen-powered transport, both strategic and tactical, would be invented and made in Canada. Recommendation 5 concerns the Air Force. Previously, I questioned the investment in F-35s. Cancelling these, even with a penalty, would allow Canada to spend elsewhere. Fighter jets do have a use. To meet this need, Canada should jump a generation of technology. Instead of F-35s, Canada should build its own version of the XQ-58A, the American drone fighter. Ours could be hydrogen-powered, unmanned fighters, able to engage autonomously. Yes, tight controls over the AI weapons are needed, yet AI is the future. This is a major weapons system which Canada can invent. The new Air Force should also systematically convert the air fleet to hydrogen. That by itself would be a massive undertaking, given the diverse numbers and types of aircraft in the fleet. Work on hydrogen aircraft in the civilian world is well underway. Airships could also provide heavy lift transport where enemy attacks are not a threat. Finally, for recommendation number six, we must go back to a fundamental question. 
what is the greatest security threat we face? We all sort of know the answer. The Defense Department even confirmed it. The risk with 100% probability of occurring and an absolutely catastrophic outcome is from climate change. Now, everything I have proposed in Canada Reimagined to date has been directed towards this climate priority. I've tried to imagine many ways to mitigate the climate risk at its source. That's not enough. Even if we do miraculously avoid the worst outcomes, we will still face both climate and man-made catastrophic events. Storms, floods, fires, droughts, train crashes, chemical spills, you know, events. The most immediate events that threatened our homeland come from forest fires, floods, ice storms, tornadoes, even pandemics. Events like these will only increase in number and severity. Our military has pitched in to help, but has told Parliament it doesn't really want the job, yet it keeps being pushed to do it, even to train for it. So, if the military doesn't do it, who will? The answer is recommendation number six, create a climate corps. This would be a significant, well-disciplined, well-equipped corps set up specifically to deal with climate and industrial catastrophes. It would respond extremely quickly to these sudden crises. To build a climate corps, we could combine army units that might otherwise be redundant in the cutbacks and the Canadian Rangers. It's a 5,000-strong force that's part of the Army Reserve. The Corps would need the capacity to respond to any and every natural or man-made disaster we can imagine. This is not a job to do on the side. I suggest we start with the Rangers because this force has significant Indigenous membership. This is important because Indigenous Canadians understand the land and nature better than most city-based Canadians. Members of the military would be offered the opportunity to join the new Corps. Many might welcome it. The first challenge for the Climate Corps would be to build a new culture free of the flaws that have plagued the military in the past. The Corps would emphasize multicultural enlistment. It would build a sense of Canadian unity through diversity, moving beyond the racism, sexism, and political extremism that has historically popped up in the armed forces. To this end, the Climate Corps would encourage short-term enlistment by young Canadians as a form of national service. There's no equivalent to a Climate Corps anywhere on Earth that I know of, nor is there a set of tools off the shelf to equip the Corps for the many and varied events that will occur. We would have to invent new tools and build them in Canada. The tools are actually easy to define, just hard to invent. A Climate Corps would have to rapidly move large numbers of people and tons of equipment over huge distances in horrible circumstances. Airships could provide transport without the need for ports or landing strips. On arrival, the Corps would need portable energy, which could come from very small nuclear reactors. It would need significant medical capacity and field hospitals. It would require logistical expertise to coordinate the response to a humanitarian and logistical crisis. This type of planning is one thing the military does very well. The Climate Corps would, of course, serve Canada first. 
but it would also be deployed around the world when crises occur. It would replace Canada's Disaster Assistance Response Team, or DART, which is part of the military. The Climate Corps would become part of Canada's brand. Organizations like the Red Cross and the World Food Organization, of course, already provide humanitarian assistance and have some surge capacity. Canada's Climate Corps would be different. It would specialize in short-term interventions in specific locations with a simple humanitarian mission. Where required, the revamped Canadian military would provide armed protection for the overseas Climate Corps. Sadly, it will be required. These six recommendations are no doubt flawed. Some technologies may not be invented for decades, yet reinvention of the military can never stop. In fact, if it does stop, it means we've lost. Somewhere in the bowels of National Defense Headquarters, there are other, better recommendations than the six I offered. Perhaps some policy shop has creative ideas on how to reimagine our national security to meet the world we actually face. If so, bring them on, talk about it, get the Senate to hold an inquiry, do something. You know the warning sign in the hallway? In case of emergency, break glass. We face an emergency. Break the damn glass. You've been listening to Canada Reimagined. I'm Patrick Esmond-White, and the person responsible for all of this. I'd like to thank Tom Evans for the artwork, Tom Plant for my theme music, and Harbinger Media for its support for independent Canadian podcasters. Tune in again next week.